Cult Collectibles is the number one site for historical items from the People's Temple, Heaven's Gate, Om Shinrikyo, and many other cults that you never even knew existed. Hundreds of hours of work have gone into curating our collection of unique and one-of-a-kind items from the dark history of these groups. We also have a large selection of true crime memorabilia from such notorious cases as Edmund Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and many more. We add new items to the site every week and post sales and auctions on our Instagram at Cult Collectibles. So visit us on the web at cultcollectibles.org today. Welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here over Skype with my good friend, talented actress, effects artist, and filmmaker, Jesse Seitz. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's a, <laughs> a nice day off, so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of want to start from the beginning and talk about like when did your passion for cinema in general like first begin? Um... That was uh, very, very early on. Um, I I was homeschooled and also an only child, so a lot of time in the house. And um, I, I really loved reading and I really loved film uh, from an early, early age. Um, we didn't have cable all the time, so I actually kind of came up on classic movies that I would watch on PBS like a dork. Um <laughs> But uh, I, uh, the first movie that just really blew me away and made me like want to be a filmmaker was um, the film Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I watched it one night on the Silver Screen program, mm-hmm. and uh, no one had actually like ruined the ending for me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just like, oh my god, you know, like my little twelve-year-old mind was like totally blown. And then I just kind of like started seeing cinema completely differently after I watched that movie and probably sometime like around 16 or 17 I was just like yeah fuck it I want to be a filmmaker because you know it's easy like that right (laughs) it's just like a light switch you just turn it on (laughs) and um by the time I was 18 I was uh creating films what was it that gravitated you towards like extreme genre films extreme genre to me is uh very honest and um the honesty of it like struck me um in the early films that i was like watching with it um so things like miss 45 were incredibly impactful last house on the left um i just thought that those films were saying a lot more than conventional films were saying and so i was very interested in creating that like within my own work and really have pretty much like stuck by that for the last like 19 years i mean there's a few like deviations and every now and then like i'll write a script that's like slightly more conventional but i still definitely just like pull more towards the extreme now almost like by default yeah Yeah. um 
so you talk about you kind of first started when you're around 18 what was it that like helped you get into like your foot in the door into the world of filmmaking like kind of what inspired you to go in that direction and be like I can actually do this I um I had taken like a film appreciation class in college um I I started going to college when I was like 16 of uh, the first go around I've tried to go like five times now um, <laughs> filmmaking keeps getting in the way uh, <laughs> anyways at the the first time I was like 16 and I was taking this film appreciation class and really liked the professor and that summer he was offering a um, filmmaking course you know and it was supposed to just be like oh you know you get to complete like a short film and you'll get to shoot on like 16 and we'll like show you how to edit and all this stuff and the, the course actually wound up being like a little bit of a wash. Like we never did actually get to touch actual uh, 16 <laughs> cameras, <laughs> but um, we we did get to create a short film, kind of. And um, of course, even back then, I wanted to make something gory, so <laughs> I grabbed like this other like weird student, and we concocted the story about somebody trying to slit their wrists in the school bathroom <laughs> and I very crudely applied some special effects that looked more like ketchup in the bathroom like with a you know kitchen knife I mean it was all like very cheesy and very stupid but the cleaning lady came in and thought someone was actually like hurting themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and like we tried to like explain that you know we were just like in film class or whatever but um she did call like campus security and they did do like a wellness check on us stupid thing in the bathroom um and i definitely like got in trouble with my professor for doing that like making like this huge mess on like school property but it was really fun and i like really really enjoyed it so that definitely inspired me to just like create on my own and so um i was going to try to get an internship with trauma of all places um i was like fuck it i'm gonna like move to new york city and i'm gonna intern with trauma and everything's gonna be really great and um really moments before (laughs) i was going to like send this obsessive fan email to lloyd kaufman asking if i could work for free like lots of people have um, I discovered a film company um, called Look at Pixel Cinema that was in St. Louis, which is where I was living, like, at the time. And I'm like, well, that's, like, closer than New York City, so I'll just try there first. And um, I got a, an internship with them, and then, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, from looking at your, like, Wikipedia, or not your Wikipedia, your IMDb, some of the, like your earliest credits are films like uh, Inbred Redneck, Alien Abduction, and I Spit on Your Corpse, I Piss on Your Grave. Are those kind of the first films that you were involved in? Yes. Um, actually, the the very first one, um, the IMDb kind of jogs things like a little bit, you know, because things are released differently at weird intervals. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first film I worked on was Inbred Redneck Alien Abduction, (laughs) which was directed by uh, Pat Voss, who was an incredible effects artist. And at the time, he was working with Wicked Pixel sort of, I don't know, like um, by proxy. Um, They had gotten into this deal with uh, Sub Rosa, um, 
which um, Severosa Studios is uh, still around. Shout out to Ron Bonk. Um, <laughs> but they were doing uh, this like series of films called Severosa Extreme. And Pat Voss had been brought on to do um, Inbred Redneck Alien Abduction. <laughs> so when I had uh, contacted Wikipixel, they were like, oh, well, we're not shooting anything specifically right now um, through you know, our company, but, you know, here's Pat Voss. <laughs> so I was um, over there and did PA work uh, for him. And then um, for I Spit on Your Corpse, I Piss on Your Grave, my involvement with that actually came, I'd say, two to three years later. Um, they went to go re-release uh, that film. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I acted in it, actually. It was when I was uh, briefly stepping into the role of a, aspiring scream queen and so i actually um did some acting in the extended footage so it shows up um as early um on my imdb but i actually shot that more in like 2003 2004 which is weird yeah but i'm in the extended edition whatever that means uh some of your other like early 2000s work includes savage harvest 2 and satan's cannibal holocaust and i was wondering what you could tell us about being involved in those projects yes um so savage harvest 2 was um technically the first one through wikipixel proper that i i worked on and um that was with uh jason christ um directed that and it was of course like a sequel to savage harvest which is like a pretty infamous like shot on video um movie from back in like the 90s so it was like the little like follow-up to that and i got in probably like the second like leg of their shooting they had kind of like paused for a moment and then i was with them um through completion so um i did like a lot of like behind the scenes like kind of work um a little bit more in depth than just like holding like a slate but just kind of coming in and jumping in like wherever was needed and then uh, I make a, a brief appearance at the end <laughs> you know whatever my acting's like amusing to me now you know I just have like you know all these roles where I did just random like weird shit in but um yeah for that um I really started sinking my teeth and in deeper into um production work itself and then that would go on to lead my like full involvement in Deadwood Park um but with satan's cannibal holocaust um that was just like this really uh goofy exploitation movie um that jim ware uh directed and again that was part of Severosa extreme um and i was just like i i could scream like very very loudly <laughs> and they needed a part where somebody could do that so um yeah, that's how I kind of, like, was snuck in to that, like, little, like, role. But then, like, weirdly enough, like, that was the first one that people started, like, noticing that I was, like, doing acting and nude modeling. <laughs> so um, that one had, like, this, like, weird little, I don't know, um, hinge of recognition to it for, like, a hot minute. Like, I mean, we're talking, like, uh, back in MySpace days, you know, <laughs> and all of that stuff that's, like, long since forgotten like now but that was kind of like Satan's <laughs> animal house <laughs> you know and I don't mind like laughing about it because um, I mean I'm still really good friends with that director and he would be just as giggly like over it but yeah it was a it was a big deal at the time 
<laughs> so you talked about uh, Deadwood Park, but also like moving into your early 2000s, you were involved in like Ratline, Five, and Faces of Snuff. And I was wondering what you could tell us about being involved in all of that. Yeah, so um, Deadwood Park was um, a really big project like for me. Um, so I had co-wrote the story. Um, I was the production designer the costume designer, um, and I also shot the feature-length making of documentary. <laughs> so um, I basically just did, like, a lot <laughs> on the park, and um, that took several months to complete. Um, forget what our budget actually was. It was something, like, ridiculously low. Like, when you see the film, it looks like there would be, like, a lot more money involved. I think when it was all said and done, it was only 30000 and we were shooting, like, World War II sequences, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, period pieces and stuff like that. So um, I think it's pretty impressive for micro-budget flashback kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the grand scheme of things, the film itself is, like, pretty vanilla you know um i think that sometimes people who are into like extreme work kind of like seek that one out and then might be like a little disappointed by it just because it really plays out more just like an attempt at like conventional like horror and kind of like walks that like middle of the road sort of thing Mm -hmm. so i'm not really sure like how well like it actually ages but like um you know it's impressive in terms of just like the scale that we were able to pull off on like just a zero budget basically you know for all intents and purposes um because of my work on that um i became the executive producer for ratline which would wind up being like the last thing that i would do uh with wicked pixel um with that one in producing i was like in charge of securing finance locations um you know just making everything like run pretty smoothly so it was a pretty hands-on like producer role for that and um again i had like a short tiny part in it but it was because like another actor had like bailed and they had to rearrange um some actors and stuff so like i just like wound up like stepping in and i get decapitated which is fun (laughs) Um, but uh yeah that one uh ratline again it's um it's not as like gory as you might like think it would be um it was a smaller film it has like some really great acting in it uh from emily hack and sarah swafford um so it's worth like definitely checking out for that but it's not what i would consider exploitation-y um you know um so again it's like when people kind of go back watch these films you know i always want them to be like kind of prepared (laughs) because of like the other stuff that i've been involved in and also what other people like a pixel have done in the past you kind of like expect a lot from them and um these two were just very different points in wigger pixels like career you know so they were really trying to like you know like up their production value and focus like more on that like as opposed to like gore or violence Mm -hmm. um with with five that was actually like my first solo um like uh non or excuse me my first solo like fiction project um and i did that one all by myself (laughs) i i did not have like any help in pre-production so i like raised fifteen thousand dollars and bought like a new camera 
and wrote the script and like contacted like everybody who's in it. Um, and then that would be the first project I would go on to work with uh, Jim Van Bever on. And, um, you know, Van Bever was like very inspirational to me as a coming up and coming like filmmaker. Um, I mean, Beat at Dawn is like fucking amazing. And then like he had just finally like had released like Manson Family. And like that's a beautiful film like anyway like you slice it like Manson Family is like a triumph not just for the indie community but for cinema like in general and I'll, I'll always like stand by that mm-hmm. and I was uh you know I just I had to work with them you know like I absolutely absolutely had to work with them so um I got in contact with him through Heidi Hiding Honeycutt um and you know pitched him this role that was like completely opposite of anything that he had like ever done before because basically it's like I want you to play a nice guy and before he had just always played like these like degenerates you know um so it was uh you know he agreed to it and he was very gracious and um flew out from LA to be in five and you know spent the week with me filming that and honestly like was super encouraging, uh, you know, even in like the following years and like, you know, there'd be times that I'd really just want to give up or just really think like less of myself. And, you know, Jim really pushed me like forward in some dark times that I had like as an artist, but five is like, you know, our, our starting point. Um, and now it's very weird to go back and look at that project because I mean, (laughs) The little girl, um, Evie, who's in it, I mean, she's, like, in college now. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, like, this weird time capsule. Like, in my mind, it doesn't seem like that long ago, you know, but we, like, shot the damn thing in, like, 2006, 2007. I'm not sure at the the present time, like, what year we shot that, but somewhere around there. I want to say 2007. And, you know, like, so much has, like, happened, like, since then. And it took me like forever to release that because there were just like a thousand problems that definitely come up, you know, <laughs> during indie filmmaking. But um, yeah, that was my my first solo, uh, just uh, fictional like story, and it had the the great Van Bever. <laughs> um, what was your, what was your involvement with Faces of Snuff? Oh, with Faces of Snuff. Um, so that one it was kind of uh cool because i had uh hadn't been directing anything like for a while um and you know it was like just sort of like very like in between like gigs and stuff like that and really wanting to get like back into the director's chair and shane ryan had put out like a call for his like faces of snuff project and, you know, basically was just like, oh, you know, filmmakers out there, like, pitch me something, you know. And so I pitched him something and shot it, and uh, which is my short um, 18, which goes on to make appearances in other places. But, um, like, Shane loved it and, you know, stuck it in there. And I'm, like, really grateful for him for that because it kind of, like, reignited my passion as, like, a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know, was able to say, like, a lot with that film, you know, because it's, like, a little bit, like, down and dirty and really turned out the way that I wanted it to. And, again, it was, like, having, um, 
that freedom of like, I am creating this in the way that I want to, I don't have to answer for anybody because anyone that's going on anthologies, it's just called faces of snuff. Like, you know, there's not really like any rules. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I'm very grateful to Shane for like seeing me and like giving me that platform that really like lit a fire under my ass, like again, and I was just like, yeah, I want to focus like on exploitation work. I want to focus on like experimenting, you know, like with the format of film like itself. And so that was my way of sort of like diving into that. So that's how I wound up on Faces of Snow. <laughs> <laughs> so you you talked about how like five was kind of you like jumping into like the director's chair and all that kind of stuff. But what's your experience being uh, having been an actress and now as a director, um, do you think that being in front of the camera and behind the camera like that, like you have this kind of universal understanding of it now, does that help you as a filmmaker? Does that help you as a director? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, cause like when I was, um, when I was acting, you know, I always did like gory stuff and most of it was like nude. Um, also at the time I was like modeling, um, doing a lot of like, um, gore fetish modeling too. So, um, I was very familiar with what it was like to just be like covered in like effects goo, basically, like (laughs) essentially. And, um, how vulnerable like that can make you feel and how sticky it gets. (laughs) Um, and just, um, how, when you're screaming your head off and you're like pretending to die on camera like how emotionally draining that can be. And so I feel like now as a director, when I ask my actors like to do the same for me, I'm like very conscious of like, how long have they been in makeup? How many takes have we done, you know, with them screaming their head off or, you know, and and just, I I try to get them in and out quickly. Um, So like, we have like a lot of conversation like ahead of time about like, the type of distress like I want to see like on their face and we have like you know just these really long discussions like about it and so by the time we're ready to like roll that camera they really know what I'm looking for mm-hmm. and that way we avoid doing like take after take after take because that's exhausting and after a while it, it just you're not even going to get a good performance anymore you know like if you just kind of go into it like cold and you covered someone in like prosthetics, you know, and they're like tied up or they're chained up or whatever. And they're just like screaming constantly. You can't have them doing that for hours, you know, or else they're going to get like agitated and they're not going to have a very like good performance anymore. And that's not a comment on an actor. That's just, you're putting them through like a super uncomfortable situation. And so I would much rather have like a hour long discussion ahead of time. So they know like what I want and then they can kind of progress in a way that feels like good for them. And then we can like actually like get them out of there, you know, because we've hit all of our notes. So I, I don't know if I would be that um, aware of what they're going through had I not done the acting and modeling before directing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that those are really important things to be like attentive to. Like, uh, I really like we've both talks uh in private about like being on productions where like people are just standing around forever and like Mm -hmm. i never ever want to have someone like covered in wet things and be naked and having to stand around like i'm constantly worried that people are cold (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) so uh 
I think that's a good approach to have. Like, let's just go in and out and get this, get this done. Yeah. And, and with like the nudity stuff, like, I mean, I don't even like to put, well, one, I'm not a fan of unnecessary nudity mm-hmm. and it's not like, Oh, I'm like a prude or something. I just think that sometimes it's like really overused and like without reason. And it just kind of gets like stupid. I feel like <laughs> that those days are like a little played out. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so like, unless, it's like advancing the story or it's making some kind of like funny comments on them being like nude, you know, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really just like, okay, does it absolutely like need it? Yeah. And, and um, if it does need it, you know, if it is required, yeah, like for whatever reason, for like comedy or for impact or just for plot purposes, you know, um, I, I try to like, let them stay as closed like as long as possible like even if they're like a professional model who's like basically like naked for a living you know I still think that it's like a respect type of deal and I try to keep like the sets like pretty closed off like no unnecessary hangers on you know Mm -hmm. um, for that kind of stuff and it's just like a matter of respect like the way that I see it you know it's like you're not here be a piece of meat so even if we're doing a scene that's like an exploitation scene like a rape scene or you know just like a completely like vulnerable massacre scene you know you i don't want like the actor to feel like that they are personally on display i want them to just be able to get into their character in like a a very controlled environment and then be able to like walk away from that um and i think that that's uh, very important like when you're making these types of movies yeah, I think that's really important too. Making sure that people don't feel like they're just a prop or something, you know, that they're actually <laughs> right. <laughs> there's there's a person behind there, you know, who still has feelings, even if like this is like their whole gig, you know. And so, yeah, you just have to be like really for that. <laughs> so, uh, so moving into the late 2010s, uh, you came out with your films Devotion and Obsidian, and I was wondering what you could tell us about those projects. Yeah, so um, Devotion would wind up being, like, my first, like, genuine feature film. Mm -hmm. Um, So Five is, like, a mid-length, like, it sits at, like, 30 minutes, you know, Um, which I am, like, a fan of mid-length films. I think sometimes you don't need to make something longer than it has to be. (laughs) Like, I really hate filler. (laughs) And, uh, And it happens, like, on all budget levels. I mean, there's, like, some Hollywood movies that just have, like, you know, 45 minutes they could easily like be like fucking cut out you know yeah um, and that's just like my own like thing so i i'm like if it sits pretty at like 30 minutes man i ain't like fucking touching it i'm not adding in trees or some unnecessary dialogue or some fucking bullshit you know um, uh, devotion was my first feature length so it's my first like technical like film um and it's like a weird one man i it's one of those that I think if people are already fans of genre Lynn and just Franco and are um, perhaps like familiar with um, the work of Genesis Peoridge and like um, Toby philosophy and like chaos magic and like the cut up theory um, started by Burroughs and then um, carried through by Genesis, they'll get what I was like going for. <laughs> um, and and there are people who are familiar with like that kind of like material and stuff and they get what I was doing and they connect with that film. I think that if you 
aren't into any of those things or hate them or have no context um it probably just like comes off as like really fucking weird and like okay like what is going on you know um so basically um with that i wanted to apply the cut up method um to film you know which is like um originally the idea when it was started by burroughs was that um you take you know like a newspaper and you cut it into four quarters and you keep cutting it down, cutting it down and you rearrange until you make like a new uh, piece of literature. And um, that's kind of like how he rolled like with a lot of like his work. And then Genesis Peoridge of Thriving Gristle and Psychic TV um, would go on to take it even like further. And um, what she would do is not only like the physical paper cutups, but she would do cutups with artwork and with film itself, you know, and like just taking things and deconstructing them to reconstruct. Um, and it was really about process, um, was a big thing that like she preached and she would like eventually go on to do that, um, with herself, you know, um, androgynin, uh, with her wife, uh, Lady J, it was, um, you know, they were cutting themselves up, like physically cutting themselves up to create like a different separate like being, you know? Um, so there's some really brilliant like documentaries and work like on that to read about, you know, how strong they believed in like that philosophy. And so I wanted to take that um, and use that for my first feature film, um, meaning that not necessarily the subject of them, but use that like method, you know, of like deconstruction and kind of like push it through the lens of like genre Lynn and it's very ambitious <laughs> and um i'm not saying that i i executed it perfectly um because i definitely did not but that's where i was coming from like with it mm -hmm. so you know i shot it against like a lot of different formats like on purpose like some of it is shot on film some of it is shot on vhs some of it's shot on digital some of it is told like through stills um and the story itself is like disconnected and then like reapplied um and it kind of is like functioning more as like an artistic piece than like a traditional narrative um so again it's like it's challenging i mean overall like i am proud of what i did but i also like know the context like of it and so it, it means a lot when people like watch it and can actually connect with it because i know that it's not the easiest like piece of material to connect with um but it has like shown like theatrically and it has shown like at festivals and there are people who like get it and there are some very talented people behind it too who really like trusted me in making like this abstract thing and i really like appreciate that because i think you know as like an actor like when you're approached and the director just wants to do something super ambitious and super weird like that you know, I mean, you want to still like come off okay, <laughs> like as an actor, because that's your work, right? And you want them to be able to portray you in a way that like enhances your skills and doesn't just make you look like dumb, you know? Um, and I feel like I was able to like facilitate like my actors, like, and let them like really like showcase like some cool stuff that they're able to do. And um, Lynette Quigley in it and I mean it was a complete like joy to work with Anaya. of course like I grew up 
you know, like everybody did, you know, like watching her movies, you know, um, especially like her movies, like eighties, you know, like night of the demons and return of the living dead. And, you know, um, I mean, she's like America's like scream queen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really wanted her in this part again, it was like a weird part for her to play, but she was just like completely down and completely approached it seriously. You know, she just wasn't there to like cash in a paycheck. Like, she really thought about like what she was doing and like brought a lot like to it and like supported me afterwards too, which I really, really appreciate. Um, and she's an incredibly kind and just amazing person to be around too. Um, you know, sometimes you meet like your idols and they like fucking suck, you know, <laughs> but, um, she was definitely like actually like worth meeting, worth hiring and, um, you know, like brought some substance to it. And then of course, like, I mean, Haley J. Madison, um, who only does like a few things like now like she's picky about her work but you know she's like the lead in it and you know she allowed herself to go to some pretty like dark places like with that film and um yeah I just like really like appreciated it and so um that was my first feature and then Obsidian um that came as uh I actually have like a feature length script for Obsidian that I would I would love to someday make. Um, and it's like a scarecrow slasher movie. Um, and someone was interested in producing it, but they wanted a proof of concept. And I was like, well, instead of just like shooting a scene, let's like kind of condense this down and make it a short film. So we have like our proof of concept, but then we also have like something that we can like actually put in festivals you know um and so we again we like brought jim bambever like back on um who i had intended to hire for the feature link but i brought him on just to do the short film we have Haley again um and then we have jb beverly um who's a very dear friend of mine who came on to play the part of the scarecrow but also like um stepped in to like help do producing duties and um, score the project as well um and then we had uh patsy uh, come in and do cinematography work with it and she was incredible for that um so the short film obsidian actually wound up getting quite a lot of traction i mean for something that was shot like in 48 hours and was basically just a you know extended um proof of concept um it really got to go to some really cool places um and now it's like available for free like on um the acid goth like youtube channel um just to have it out there so people can just like see it but um yeah um you know i never secured funding for that and i've since kind of like moved on to other projects but yeah obsidian's probably like one of my more like successful things that i've done yeah <clears throat> i really like that short i think it's really powerful i think the cinematography is really really cool and i feel like you really utilized the uh I don't know, the, the the scenery and everything like that. Like, it's pretty cool to be watching people, like, running through cornfields and and that shed that you shot it in. I think it all looks really nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it. Like, 
I still like watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some stuff that I, I made, like, I'm like, oh, my God, if I never see it again, I'm fine, you know? But, like, that's that's one I actually still, like, enjoy watching. And that's cool about Devotion and that you got to work with Linnea Quigley. I could totally see her being down to get weird. I mean, like, the whole, like, makeup or, like, lipstick scene in Night of the Demons is pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> yeah. She's just, she's totally down for it. And she's just, like, this, I don't know, she's just such a cool person you know she's this woman who has been just independent her whole life and has just kind of done whatever the fuck she wants to do with her life you know and she's not apologetic about it and it's beautiful and she's had this like very big very cool life you know (laughs) and done like a lot of like really cool shit but she's like very chill like about the whole thing and like you know, on her off time, she's just out there, like, rescuing animals and running, like, an animal sanctuary and, you know, is, like, a vegan and just, I don't know, she's just this really amazing, amazing person. Yeah, I got to meet her once at a convention and she just seems like a sweetheart. She just seems like a really nice, nice person. And she's just got a badass career, badass history, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, you, around this time, I believe, I don't, I don't really know when you and Marcus met each other, but you're married to Marcus Cook. And I was wondering how you guys met each other and how you guys started kind of like working together. Yeah, actually, that's like a a very good observation with the timeline. (laughs) Um, Because it was actually because of Obsidian, we wound up meeting. Um, It was this, I was trying to put together um, the feature length and wanted a good effects artist for it. Um, and Jim Van Bever actually uh, gave me Marcus's number. And he's like, well, you gotta hire Marcus Cook, you know? <laughs> Jim Waves, you know? And um, so I called him up and just kind of told him like the deal. I was like, oh yeah, you know, like it's like this like scarecrow movie and here's the budget that like I want for it. And here's what I want to spend on like effects. And, you know, just like a very generalized like talk about it and that was kind of like over kind of towards like the beginning of like the summer and you know we shot the um short in the fall and I did not have the money to hire him for it you know so I didn't even want to like embarrass myself by being like come out and (laughs) work on the short that I'm like shooting for you know thousand dollars or whatever you know um so he didn't wind up coming out for Obsidian, like, at all. But um, that winter, um, we both were just randomly, like, in St. Louis at the time. Um, I had already moved out of St. Louis, and he doesn't normally live there, but we're just sort of, oh, we're in the same city the same night kind of thing. And um, I was just like, hey, you know, do you want to, like, just, like, get together and, like, have, like, a couple beers, and we can, like, talk about that project more? And... Um, I went over and we like wound up talking for like five hours (laughs) and um then it was just one of those like things where we like literally talked every single day like after that you know and um i had never had that in any of my other like relationships um i wasn't like that person like at all and we started dating um that following summer <clears throat> and then like within a year we were married <laughs> um, so it, it all happened like very quickly um and I literally always like thought like those kind of like relationships were just like that people were like lying when they would talk about them you know that that didn't really happen <laughs> um but we 
turns out we're just like perfectly like in line with what we wanted to do with our careers. And, um, you know, I had had a background in cosmetology and makeup. Um, I had been a professional makeup artist for several years, um, before jumping into effects and in, uh, excuse me, in 2019, um, just, uh, came out to work on a Western, like with Marcus and, then just started diving into that world of of like special effects. So I'm only like two years deep in my journey with that, but I find it like incredibly fulfilling and um, I really, really love pursuing it. So it's probably like the thing that I love most next to directing. (laughs) Yeah. That, that was kind of like a question I wanted to get into is talking about the effects work that you do and, and you have worn like so many different hats, you know, you've been an actress, you've, uh, been a director you do effects work and you're even a producer and i was just wondering kind of like uh what what are some of the differences playing all those all of those different roles well i think that um like with effects each one is challenging first and foremost you know there's no like easy position like on a (laughs) on a film set you know um but um with the effects what i enjoy about that is it's a very uh focused position so, you know, when I am there to do effects, that's like all we're doing, you know. Um, so it is kind of nice to just have this one very specific thing to worry about and hyper focus on. Whereas like when you're producing or directing or like just running around like crazy, like, okay, like what needs done today? You know, like where do I need to like step in? What needs my attention? And you're just like kind of aware of all the positions and slash kind of have to like step in or at least be able to like articulate what you need to all those positions. And there's just like so much to be aware of um, that it is kind of nice. Like when I can like be on a set and just like effects makeup is, is the primary focus Um, that gets stressful (laughs) when directors aren't experienced with effects like haven't had that position themselves or have never directed effects before or you have like an assistant director that isn't aware of how effects work and people just think that you literally like pull it out of your ass in five minutes (laughs) (laughs) and then you can do like 500 takes in a row um then like effects gets like very stressful um and there's definitely times where i've had to like assert myself um as an artist and just be like okay look this takes as long as it takes and you only get so many takes because it's makeup and it's not going to like stay on the person forever and you can't just like clean up a bloody mess you know instantly so it's like you have to really communicate and like let the director and the ad and everybody else like know okay this is what needs to happen and sometimes they listen to you and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's never fun. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, everything is like just kind of like weird. And, you know, I think on any good film set, if you're not like sitting there really asking yourself, like, what the fuck have I done with my life? At least at one point, you know, that you're probably like not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and ter- like continuing on the conversation of you talking about doing effects work, you uh, kind of recently were involved in doing effects for Jacob's wife, and I was wondering if you could tell us about what it was like to be involved with that project. Um, Jacob's wife is like is like literally like my dream project, um, and I'm very 
very, very, very thankful that I had that opportunity. Um, you know, I have kind of like a bucket list, like in my head, of like people I want to work with, you know, like uh, things I want to shoot, like that kind of stuff. And um, really, weirdly enough, at the top of my bucket list was to work with Larry Fessenden and on some capacity. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of Larry's. And um, ever since, like, I saw Habit, which is his, like, weird vampire movie from, like, the 90s, I've just, like, completely eaten up, like, everything that he's ever done, like, whether it be, like, directing or acting. I mean, he's another, like, one of those, like, renaissance people who just, like, fucking does it all, you know? Um, and Larry Fesden is in it. <laughs> and I, I tried not to be, like, a complete and total, like, nerd about it, but I'm sure I was a little doughy-eyed <laughs> some days um, because I'm like, wow, you're, like, my, like, fucking idol, and I'm, like, standing two feet away from you, and, like, I just put blood on your shirt. It was just, <laughs> I don't know, it was very cool, you know? And um, my favorite wrestler, um, because I'm very into wrestling, <laughs> and my favorite wrestler, CM Punk, is in it, and so I got to, like, fucking meet him and work with him. Um, Barbara Crampton, of course, is the lead. And it's like, hello, it's Barbara fucking <laughs> You know, I mean, like, holy shit, you know. I mean, I absolutely, like, adored her. Never even thought I would get to work on a project with her because she's just, like, really up there, like, in the horror world, you know. And, mm -hmm. um and she was very lovely to be around, you know, like, again, just like one of those people who's just very nice, very professional. She wants like everyone to succeed on set. And that really shows through. And she was producing this too. And I think it's important to note that she, that wasn't like a vanity credit. I know sometimes like bigger names, it's like, oh, they're a producer and they didn't really like do anything. But like, that was like Barbara's like baby, you know, like she really was a producer on that and really actively like solving problems in pre-production and production and I'm sure in post as well um so it was like incredible to also watch like this icon work in that way and like really step into that role and um and then of course freaking Bonnie Aarons um, Marcus and I got to collaborate together to do a makeup on Bonnie, who's like the nun. I mean, she's got like action figures like made after, like, you know. And um, I mean, that was like a that's very surreal and important and very cool as like a, a makeup artist to get to work with someone who's like a legendary character actor like that. And then um, you know, at the at the top of it, you know, you have Travis Stevens, who is a producer um, who I greatly respect. Um, when I was like a film programmer, I programmed many things that that man produced. And, you know, this was his sophomore film and he's an incredible director. So it really did just, there was a lot of like pinch me moments like in that. And I gush about that project a lot. I mean, I'm sure anybody who like follows me on social media is probably sick of hearing me talk about <laughs> it. But, you know, it's like one of those things that I just really want to like hold on to, you know, because you don't always get those opportunities to work with that many people that you admire and also have a good experience with it. And then, of course, everything that's come out, like, after that film, you know, like, the cover of, like, Fangoria magazine and, like, it getting onto Shutter 
and being available, you know, like in Walmart and Best Buy and stuff like that. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, I never knew if I would ever work on something that would get to that like level. And so it just, it's really cool to have that. So yeah, that's probably like one of my favorite things I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really cool experience. And that's really cool to have your name like attached to that, you know, and get to work with all of those different people. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And and that's all like Marcus and I like on the effects. Um, it was only like a two person effects crew, which is just crazy. Even like when I go back and like watch the movie, I'm like, how were there only two effects people? <laughs> like, that's like, really crazy. And then it was just Mary Check doing the makeup. And so basically, it was just like a makeup department of like three people, like effectively, you know, and I mean, Mary completely like knocked it out of the park and like everybody just like looks like so good in that movie but it's really incredible considering just like how small um uh, it really was you know people who were playing such like crucial roles like to that film so yeah it was it was cool and you know um I hope to repeat that someday <laughs> <laughs> um so Going back to you being a director, in 2019, you and Marcus came out with your documentary on extreme cinema beyond horror, and I was wondering, uh, what could you tell us about, like, the concept of that and what it was like to be involved in that and, and everything about it? So, um, you know, extreme cinema is something that's, like, super important to both Marcus and I, and, um, I think that it's one of those, like, genres that is very misunderstood, <laughs> say the least um there's a lot of people who don't quite get it and I don't mean that to like insult those people's like intelligence um but it it is definitely only for a certain group of people and I think that sometimes people come at it like well I didn't see myself in this or I don't understand it or I'm angered by the content and it's like they don't understand then it's not for them <laughs> like if they're not connecting with it then it wasn't it's not for them and that's okay <laughs> just move on with your life <laughs> so um marcus and i first we wanted to really just redefine what that was and we thought that uh the term red films was uh a lot more accurate mm -hmm. because these films really do exist um beyond horror <laughs> you know um but they get lumped in with like traditional horror movies like all the time and i think that that is like misleading you know um there's like a big difference between you know watching nightmare on elm street and watching august underground <laughs> you know and but they're both like horror movies you know <laughs> and stuff so um we're like well let's like first of all try to like reframe what these are and let's try to document, you know, the filmmakers and what they have to say about their own pictures um, and give them like that platform and then just sort of like pepper it with people who aren't necessarily like into it or are critical of the genre and actual like psychologists and then just give also like a history so people have like a context of like why people are even out there like creating this type um, and so what we got was a really great collection of interviews. Um, I'm very proud of the stories that we were able to like capture. 
um, there's just some incredible stuff on there. I mean, the things that like Fred Vogel shares, he hadn't ever shared publicly before. Um, the Lucifer Valentine stuff, you know, he doesn't really give that many interviews that are in depth and about like his process and his personal history. And, you know, like Marion Dora also, um, you know, rarely talks to people, you know, like uh, about like his like work in very specific terms. And a lot of these people are very like controversial, you know, and, you know, we got like some blowback where people think that because you're interviewing somebody, that means that you 100% like support them (laughs) in every aspect of their life. And I mean, and that's just, that's simply not the case. Like, you know, we're here to document and like let that person like speak, but we're not here like, you know, say that they're choir boys, <laughs> you know? Um, so um, I hope people are starting to like get that, that like we're purely interested in just like observing and, you know, like letting them tell their own truth, you know, and people can interpret it however they want. To. Um, but the project um, obviously is very big and it's bigger than like, one film and that's another criticism sometimes we get for it is like oh you didn't interview so-and-so and and you didn't talk about such and such and it's like well okay if we did that it'd be like seven hours long (laughs) um, in one crack so um we definitely want to like in the future do a volume two and a volume three because like we're totally aware that we've just barely like scratched the surface you know Mm -hmm. but um yeah that was like our our inspiration for a minute and the aftermath of that is like creating more documentaries and I'm in the early process of actually writing a book specifically like about red films and like the process of of making the red films you know um something that's the book will be like a little less the history of it because I feel like that there's like a lot of places where you can get the history or like a list of the top 10 most fucked up films I want to kind of like avoid that and like actually go into like process like of filmmaking and um I don't think I would have even like thought to start creating that book unless like we did the documentary so it's been cool to sort of like evolve this project and go like different places like with it and and hopefully just like give people like a better understanding of like what it's all about yeah that's super exciting that's that's like huge um I'm really excited about that book and uh I I mean I think everything that you you articulated it well but I do feel like what's so great about Beyond Horror is it's kind of just an objective look at this community, this underground community. And so you talk to all these different figureheads within the community, and some of them are controversial. Some of them uh, have offended a lot of people. And you're just you're just like, tell me about the art you make. You know, you're you're not sitting there like sit, like saying, oh, I I back this, but this is a this is a noteworthy person that makes this kind of content. And so it's really cool that people have the opportunity to sit and like listen to that person talk about the art that they make. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's really cool that you guys are going to make more volumes of it. And what do you have an idea on like the release date of the book? Um, not yet. Um, it, it probably won't be until like 2023. Um, just like setting like a realistic goal. Um, because again, like I'm going to go back in and like talk with filmmakers mm-hmm. again. Um, and ask like a lot of like very specific questions and like those interviews like definitely like take time you know um so yeah I would say like start looking for it in 2023 (laughs) (laughs) um 
Well, now that you've made like, uh, you've made a documentary and you've made like fictional narrative films, what are some of like the differences and challenges of making these two different kinds of films? Um, with a documentary, um, there's like a, there's a different type of pressure because you want to be able to set things up. Well, at least like for me, I want to be able to set things up where, uh, the filmmakers or whoever the the subject is, um, that I'm interviewing actually feels comfortable and will know that I'm not going to portray them in this way that, um, is damaging to them. Like that's it's extremely important to me as a documentarian. Um, I have a background in like anthropology and um, really fall back on like my ethnography skills, like when I'm approaching this type of work. And it's like very important for me to like remain like neutral, to remain open and to really just like allow the subject to speak. Um, I think sometimes people who make documentaries really try to manipulate the conversation and get people to say what they want them to say. Um, and that's like shitty because you're not getting anything like honest, like out of there, you know? And I'm like, well, if you've like already like made up your mind, like about a subject, then what's like the point of even like interviewing people? (laughs) Yeah. But you know, just (laughs) some people try to approach it that way. And that's like very whatever, you know, but that's not how I want to like approach this type of work. Um, I don't go in with like a thesis that has to be proven, just proven, (laughs) you know? I just go in like with a genuine like curiosity um so I I always try to keep that in my head and like sometimes you know like it's challenging because like some of your subjects are very like you know there's very specific things and you want to hear something specific like from them you know and I just remember like hey no you gotta like stay cool and actually like get like the real story not just like what you want to hear or what you've like previously heard um, like with uh, fictional films, it's like a whole separate <laughs> amount of challenges. I think that like all film sets to certain varying levels are like cursed. <laughs> <laughs> and, like it will be one of those things that anything that can go wrong, like will go wrong. And um, man, you know, you try to remind yourself that and it's still just like so frustrating because there's no way to quantify or predict what the thing is going to be. Um, so you're just right down there, like rolling down the street and like, boom, out of nowhere, here's like this like fucked up shit that is going to like derail everything that you've like worked for. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so frustrating. Like the the magnitude at which some people can be shitheads and subvert a project. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh boy. uh, Yeah. So, so those are like the challenging of that. I I do think that fictional filmmaking is way harder than documenting things. Um, And, you know, because also like with documenting, you're asking someone to talk about themselves so their ego is not threatened (laughs) but in fictional filmmaking like you're asking specific things of a person and sometimes um ego can be very threatened (laughs) and (laughs) i i am not immune to this you know i have definitely also had my ego threatened on film sets so by no means am i saying like oh i'm above it you know yeah but 
it, it makes for a more volatile like environment, you know, whereas like who doesn't want an opportunity to like set the record straight about themselves like in a documentary. <laughs> so yeah, you, uh, you definitely have like a better, more consistent rapport with people when they come back to as opposed to like filmmaking where at some point everyone will just like fucking hate you, you know, <laughs> and you have to accept that <laughs> and, and move on and hopefully you'll all get over it by the time it's out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I don't I don't think people assume making movies is easy, but I don't think people recognize that there's so many moving parts to it, and, like, you forget one thing or one thing fucks up, and it creates this snowball, and everything can just go to shit really quick, really quickly. So. Really quick. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, you know? <laughs> and, and that doesn't even matter how much money you throw at it. I'd like to say that it's, like, a byproduct of working in micro-budget cinema, but... I've been on large budget stuff that just like falls to fucking pieces over dumb shit, you know? So <laughs> it's really just what you're doing. You know, the, the fact that any movie actually gets made and released is like a fucking miracle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so following the completion of Beyond Horror, you ended up deciding to produce an anthology called Fucked, um, which recently screened at Nightmares Film Festival. And I was wondering what you could tell us about that project. Yeah, so um, when we were interviewing people for Beyond Horror, um, there were a couple of things that like we really noticed. Um, first of all, in red films, there is a, a lack of representation in um, black people um, who are participating in the films as like creators, and there's also a misconception that women are not interested in creating in the genre because those were two things that just kind of came out weirdly like in interviews and um in terms of like um a black person like being interested in like creating um that's like something that you know obviously like i'm coming at this from a white person so i don't want to speak to like the reasons why they might not want to do it um but i can absolutely see why they might feel like they're not welcome in it um it is largely white dominated um and it is largely like male dominated uh, so i'm assuming that that has something like to do with it and i think that one thing that the genre could stand to be more of is inclusive um mm. because it is like a platform where you can like say whatever you want to say and you can say it for a budget that's significantly less than big Hollywood films. Um, so it's something that I want to see like more diverse voices in. And um, in terms of like women being involved, like I clearly knew as a woman, like that's not the case, <laughs> that there are lots of women who would like to create in this. And so I really started just like trying to like examine why women felt they couldn't be directors of these movies. Like, why weren't there as many as there were for men? And, you know, I don't even think it was something where, like, oh, men are trying to keep women out of it. Like, I I don't think that at all. I don't think it's, like, a purposely malicious thing. But opportunities, like, weren't being extended to women. 
So they're not being left out, but they're also not being like asked to do it. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I think that that's part of the problem there because like, if you're just kind of sitting there, like interested in creating, but you know, no one's really like reaching out to you and no one's really like considering you. I mean, it's like a vulnerable to like throw your name in the hat for things um, as a creator. And so um, I wanted to create like a situation where I was like specifically asking like women to like turn in their stuff, you know, so that they might feel like a little bit more comfortable and kind of just like get in there and like start making things like this. And so that was uh, where Fucked came from. You know, Um, I wanted them to all have like the opportunity to do it. And I also didn't want to put any stipulations on it. So like for Fucked, it doesn't look like every single other extreme film anthology. And I'm really like, okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that not all extreme cinema has to include themes of like fucking rape. You know, it doesn't have to all be looking like it's found footage. You know, it, you know, there's, you can really expand upon that idea. But, you know, somewhere along the line, we just, like, got in our heads that that's what it equals, you know? Yeah. And um, it, so I'm really, like, proud of each of the directors, like, a fucked that they really, like, went their own way with it. And, um, you know, a couple of the women who are involved, um, it's, like, their first time like directing like anything at all which is like really awesome like to be able to give like a platform to somebody because people have definitely done that like for me you know like in the past and so um I'm hoping that people understand it's like you're looking at this from like a different perspective this is like a different group of people's interpretation of like extreme cinema and we can like all like expand it and I also hope that it, like, is inspiring anyone to, like, create uh, under this, like, genre, you know, Um, because I think that it's, like, very important, and as somebody who's, like, very passionate about it, I want to see it grow and evolve into, like, cool shit, you know, (laughs) and not get, like, stale. Yeah, I mean, I really, really liked the anthology a lot, and I think it, it, it really does stand out, and it's its own unique thing it's kind of like you're looking at the same thing through like a different lens and like the whole like even the first short that you start started out with I was like whoa this is this is different this is really cool so um I was wondering we can edit this out but do you want to announce distribution or not oh yeah we can do that (laughs) (laughs) okay well everybody listening uh i with my label vile video productions will be uh uh, releasing fucked uh around the beginning of next year so probably around february so you guys can check it out and we have a lot of really exciting uh things planned for the release it's going to be really cool so keep an eye out for that but vile video is putting out fucked (laughs) (laughs) excited (laughs) Um, continuing on kind of like with work that we've done together, uh, I've just, I think that my audience has heard a lot about me talking about like Barf Bunny and the Degenerates and stuff, but you were involved in both of those projects as well. And I was wondering if you could maybe share some of your experience, like working with Felicia and being involved in those projects. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love working with Felicia Fisher. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, Felicia, if you're listening, hello. Um, so uh, she's wonderful. Um, Felicia is absolutely everything a director dreams of. Um, she shows up. She is professional. She's genuinely like fun to be around. She actually like throws herself like into a project. You know, you can like hit her with like the weird stuff, and she like she's down. You know, and uh, yeah, it was really cool to like meet her through Barf Bunny and um, go on to collaborate with her on another film that we can like talk about in a minute. <laughs> but um, that was awesome. And I enjoyed like those projects because they're, they're small and it was just like a very dedicated group of people like working on them. And I think that those are like way more fun to be a part of because like they're quick and you know exactly like what's expected of you and you can just like go in and actually enjoy the process and then like, Hey, look, we're done. And it got released and everything's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I definitely like enjoy that like process like of it and um and I think that it's cool that people are like recognizing that and also like re- recognizing Felicia as like a prominent actress like in gore films you know and I mean of course I could work with like Sam Hill too you know before that and I just think that she really will wind up going down like in history as like a prominent actress like in this genre and it's cool to just sort of like witness like that like really taking home yeah yeah i mean i really felt i really enjoyed working with everybody and i really feel like we all like we were like a really good team like it was almost like a dream team but then i also like that we all like got along with each other and we all have like really good relationships with each other and like felicia is just like i I absolutely agree i think it's like it's cool to see her glow like it's cool to see her like get bigger and bigger and get involved in more projects and and everybody, you know, I'm just, I'm just really excited to see every, all of us like, kind of like climbing the ladder, you know? So it was really cool for us all to work together. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Um, but talking about Felicia a little bit more. Uh, so I don't know how much you can actually talk about yet, but you're directing the sixth entry in the American Guinea Pig series with your film Chum Bucket. And I was wondering what you could tell us about that. Yes. Um, Chum Bucket, uh, (laughs) talk about like a a literal dream project (laughs) for a little exploitation junkie such as myself. Um, um, Of course, I fucking loved the guinea pig films, you know, Um, what weirdo degenerate kid, (laughs) you know, into the bootleg tapes, like didn't get into that, you know. Um, And then when Byro like kind of came in and like revamped the series with like the American guinea pig films I was just like well damn like these are like really up the game here you know (laughs) and they're just like so gory and so nasty and just wonderful um so I approached Byro with like my idea for like a guinea pig film and um you know we went back and forth um for several months you know just like kind of like hammering out you know, the, the finer points like of it. And we started filming, um, in October of like last year. Um, and yeah, this, this project, (laughs) it's, it's definitely had some fucking bumps, you know, um, some stuff that I definitely 
don't want to talk about publicly, um, <laughs> but it, it has had some, some real humdingers, um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I've stayed in there with it. Um, Steve has remained infinitely like patient, um, with the project and every delay that we've had. I mean, literally anything that could go wrong on a film project has like gone wrong on Chum Bucket. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is crazy because it's not like a big film, but there again, you know, like it doesn't matter, you know, what the budget is or anything like just any film is vulnerable to certain things. And those things have definitely like happened. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> circling it around to something like positive, like with it, uh, what we have gotten is amazing for me as a director. Um, the death scenes, which are all completed um, as of this recording, we we filmed like our last actor and everything. Um, they're they're crazy. I mean, they're so crazy. Like what these people like brought to their performances, and I it's uncomfortable to be in the room with them. Like, which is a good thing. That's what you want, like for like a guinea pig film, you know. So it is some like really just like amazing performances matched with Marcus's amazing like carnage like abilities and I'm absolutely getting like what was like in my head like for it um each one of the um American guinea pig films is kind of like loosely based on one of the previous like guinea pigs and um for me it was mermaid in a manhole is what has like inspired chum bucket um and I really think that there's moments where the audience is going to be able to see that influence. Um, and that was like very, very important to me. And I'm just completely ecstatic that I was able to get that like up on the screen, you know? Um, and I just, I can't wait for people to see it. You know, I know that it's like been a long time, like coming and like people have had to like wait for this one, but I do think that it's like worth the wait and it's definitely something that is very like important to me as an artist, as a filmmaker and the opportunity to make it is definitely like once in a lifetime. Um, so I'm excited for people to see it and I can't wait for it to be like out in the world and everyone to just be like, Whoa, this is like so fucked up. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's where it's at. We, we are still shooting um, some insert shots. Like, that's, like, where we're at, like, with it right now. But right now it's just down to, like, Marcus and I, like, filming, you know, like, when we can. And um, hopefully there'll be some more teaser stills and trailers, like, soon. But um, in the meantime, um, everyone will have the opportunity to watch um, Eric Fox and Stephen Byro's uh, Slaughter of the Swine, which will be APG5. And I saw, like, an early cut of that, and that one is also, like, fucked up in ways that a guinea pig film has not been fucked up in before. <laughs> and um, I think that that will satiate the bloodlust, <laughs> um, you know, when people are waiting, like, also for the bucket. So it's just, like, an exciting time for, like, unearthed films because, you know, we have these three APG films, like, coming out, like, in a row, you know, so Slaughter the Swine, Chum Bucket, and then Jeremy Cruz. Um, it was just like announced like a new more, you know, so I can 
talk about that one a little bit. Um, he's going to kind of like round her out there. And I mean, and his idea is also like fucking amazing. And I think going to really like blow people away. So it's cool to be able to like give that to the fan base and the fan base is like so loyal and already like just so supportive of all of us. Um, <laughs> That, like, means a lot, too, you know, that people are, like, trusting us to, <laughs> to do these things. Well, that's super exciting because, like, I've noticed that the, there's kind of, like, a tie or a parallel between, like, the American guinea pig films and some of the the original guinea pig films. And I was like, man, who's going to make uh, Mermaid in a Manhole? Because that's, that's my favorite guinea pig film. I was like, that I can't wait for that. So that's super exciting. And I'm, I'm glad that you, of all people, are the one doing it. <laughs> thank you that's my my favorite one too (laughs) so i had to i had to get my nods in for that (laughs) um so before we come to a close i was wondering if you have any final thoughts anything that you want to plug or anything that you'd like to say to your fans um i just like i'm appreciative of everybody being like so supportive (laughs) like you know it's like a very specific thing that i do and i just sort of do it because that's at this point, that's all I've done my whole adult life is like create these like weird ass like fucking films, you know? And um, it means a lot that I can like connect with other people who like get it and like appreciate it and want to see me like go forward, you know? Um, that that really, really just means the world to me you now. And um, yeah, I guess. Um, People can like keep a lookout. I have a few new things like coming up. I'm actually starting like my own podcast finally. This newfangled thing called a podcast. <laughs> like, I'm such an idiot and behind on like everything, you know. But I'm like, oh, I should do a podcast. Ten years after that, but uh, it's uh, it's gonna be called uh, Creature from the Black Caboodle, and it's going to be focused like just on effects so it's like me breaking down effects from older and newer horror movies and also hopefully once it gets going um and i get all the kinks worked out like bringing on guests like effects artists you know so like we can kind of like break down those like films together and um eventually will be also a youtube channel that just sort of like reviews different like makeup products and like techniques and stuff for people's kids and i'm very excited to be working on that that's really exciting that's cool i think people are going to get really excited to hear kind of like the effects part of the world out there because there's not really a lot of people uh that are like i guess public figures that are talking about the effects side of extreme cinema and it's so much fun you know um (laughs) and i kind of want to take a little bit like of the mystery out of it too you know because like it's definitely like really fulfilling to be able to like do these like things like on your own and I know I'm like super preachy about like DIY stuff but like you know I really genuinely like want to see everybody be able to tell their stories and say like what they got to say like I think that it's very like therapeutic um it's very meaningful to create like this visual piece that you can like share with so many people and um you know I just hope that I can facilitate that like for others or at the very least like not stand in the way (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for taking the time to sit and talk with me today and i hope you have a good rest of your day jesse thank you thanks for having me on (laughs) yeah of course all right bye bye
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning about more of my work, please visit my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure and extreme underground cinema. Also, don't forget to check out Putrid Productions, where you can purchase shirts of my various projects, buy DVDs of the different films that I've distributed, as well as check out my most recent film, Barf Bunny. As always, thank you for listening. This is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. Mm-hmm.